Today we're going to talk about what makes a good song, what makes good literature, what makes good movies, and what makes good Christians. Today we're going to talk about love. Okay, it's, it's arguably the greatest theme. If you want to make a good movie, you want to make a good song, you want to make good literature, you want to make good Christians, well, you need to talk about love because love is central, love is, love is vital. Uh, it's all over the place in the Bible. Uh, it's all over, all over the place in our culture. Love is super important, and yet it's something we oftentimes don't understand or we misunderstand it. And so this morning what I would like to do is have us be in First John as far as a, a text of the Bible and learning about love. What is love? What's it supposed to look like? What isn't love? And so if you're taking notes today and you'd like to have an outline, we'll look at seven truths about love uh, that every Christian should understand, maybe every individual should understand, and that's what is the plan for this morning. I won't lie, I've been reading First John cheating. Um, this sermon is just a cheat sermon for my own Knowledge. I've been reading First John because I'm trying to get more and more familiar with John's writings because we're going to start the Gospel of John. And so it's just good to get acclimated with how people use language and you just want to understand the human author as much as you can. And so I've been immersed in First John and I thought, I guess I've got a sermon in me. So um, that's what we're going to do today. We'll cover some other miscellaneous things before we start John, but that is the plan for the fall. So if we get done today, awesome. I hope we do. If not, we'll pick it up next time. But love is a big one. Love is a big one that we oftentimes get confused about, and if, if there's anything not to be confused about as a Christian, we don't want to be confused about what love is. So, And if you're not a confused person, and you've got all the stuff figured out, awesome, I'm going to remind you today, and hopefully God, the Holy Spirit, will use it in your life and in the life of other people. Uh, but we are going to talk about Christians and love in First John today. We'll try to limit our focus to First John. We might go out of the text at least one time. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump in. Number one, the first fact about, the biblical fact or truth about love is, love is the most basic commandment. Love is the most basic commandment. I really want to help people know that. If you can at least get this, the Bible's going to make way more sense. Love is the most basic commandment, okay? Go ahead and look with me, if you would, at 1 John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to jump right into 3. By the way, if you read 1 John, it repeats itself a lot, and so there are all these themes that are, that are woven throughout the book, and so we're not going to start in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be kind of all over the place, because 1 John is kind of all over the place. 1 John in chapter 5 says it's a letter that was written to give assurance to Christians. We'll talk about that this morning. Um, but love is a vital theme in the book you have to understand even to get to that. So it's the most basic commandment. Let's see it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, where it says in verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. From the beginning you've heard that we should love one another. And some would say, well, from the beginning of your Christian life you've heard that. But that's not how John uses it in chapter 1 at the very beginning. When he says the beginning, given the context of 1 John 1, he means the beginning. Okay, So this is how it's always been. That's why I'm going to say this is the most basic commandment. From the beginning it's been love one another. 
That's been ever since there has been multiple human beings. People are supposed to love one another. It's the most basic commandment. Before there were commandments written down, it was expected that human beings would treat each other properly, that they would love one another, that they would esteem each other in a proper sense. How about 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and following? Same thing, really. But in verse 7, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And again, some commentators, good commentators say, that's the beginning of your Christian life. I don't think so, because the way John uses the beginning, at the beginning of 1 John, he's talking about the beginning, okay? So I'm not giving you a new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And what he's talking about is love. This is old. This isn't new. And here's where Christians get messed up sometimes. We get messed up and we think love is a new commandment that showed up after Calvary. And what that reveals is how, how ignorant we are of the Bible. And I'll stand in the front of that line. Okay? It's been from the very beginning. It's an old commandment. Love is in Leviticus. I know there's a lot of blood and gore and weird stuff. But when Jesus references love, he quotes Leviticus. Okay? That's pretty old. Okay? This is how it's always been. It's always been expected. It's an old commandment. Now, we get confused because in the gospel, according to John and in 1 John, I'm not going to read it right now, it goes on to say that love is a new commandment. What? It's like dog whistle time and you go, what? You know? It's an old commandment and it's a new commandment. He's not contradicting himself. It's old in that it's always been expected and it's always been around. It's the most basic of commandments when it comes to human beings. And I think we'll get to this later. I hope we do. We have to get to it eventually. It's new in that you now have the Spirit of God because you're a believer and now the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay? It's an old commandment. It's always been the expectation and we could never do it. We could never do it to, to the point of pleasing God as sinners. It's old. It's good, but impossible for us. But now it's new because we're in Christ and now we're called to do this as the fruit of our salvation, not in order to obtain it. Okay? Follow me or not? And that's really what he gets at in this passage when he said it's new. Well, it's old and it's new. But it's definitely old before it's new, if that makes sense. <laughs> We're not going to go there, and I referenced it last week, and I reference it a lot because it's so misunderstood. But in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest law, i.e. commandment, he turns around to the one interviewing him and says, you tell me. Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. That's the way to eternal life. Just love. It's the most basic commandment. The problem is, sinners can't. And that old commandment is therefore bad news to us. But love is a commandment. It's the most basic commandment. Love God and love neighbor and everything will be awesome in your life. And you say, that's terrible because I don't do that. That's right, it is. And you need Jesus to fulfill that. And then on the other side, now it's a new commandment because it doesn't condemn me anymore because I'm in Christ and now I'm freed to do the right thing and act like a real human being. Make sense? 
It's not that complicated. It's old and it's new, depending on how you're approaching it. But it's been around from, from the beginning, he says. He says it multiple times. It's the most basic thing. And yet we say things like this. We write blog posts and articles like this with this title. Jesus taught law, excuse me, Jesus taught love, not law. Jesus taught love, not law. Love is the most basic commandment. A synonym for commandment is law. Jesus taught both. But it's a contradiction to say Jesus taught love, not law, because love is the most basic thing that the law says. But when we buy into that, we're just showing that we're suckers who are biblically illiterate. Don't be a sucker, okay? You heard it here at Omaha Bible Church. <laughs> Don't be a spiritual sucker. <laughs> this is the, it's as old as the hills, right? We might say. Love God and love neighbor and everything will be great. That's a commandment. But it's not great because we're in Adam. That's law. And it's bad news to sinners like you and like me. It's from the beginning. That's the standard. It's a new commandment, however, because now in Christ, He has met all the obligations and atoned for our sins, and now we're supposed to live like human beings, and we can, okay? And we can, because we have the Spirit. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I just couldn't stand it. <laughs> One more time, just for emphasis, love is law. And if you don't read your Bible like that, you're going to be so confused that you will be a sucker. Love is law. It's good, but love is law. Law is love. And again, that's why you need Jesus. And then it becomes new and fresh and wonderful because it's not against you anymore. It's actually something you've been empowered to do. If for the next, who knows how many years, you can at least have that straight in communicating with people and yourself as you read your Bible, you'll see the gospel for what it is, Jesus for who he is. And you can start making some sense of things. Man, I'm so far off track. That's like First John. It just repeats itself, so I'll do the same thing. Let's move on to another fact. Truth. Two, love is reasonable. Love is reasonable. Think about this. God says, love me. Love me supremely. Love me like you love no one or nothing else. Is that reasonable? It's, it's, it's absolutely reasonable. It just makes sense. And in fact, I probably do want you to turn to Deuteronomy one time outside of 1 John, because I think 1 John makes this huge assumption that we know some, a thing or two about the Bible. If there's only one God, it makes all the sense in the world. It is utterly reasonable that we would love Him supremely like nothing and no one else. It's reasonable. Now, as you're tur turning, to turning to Deuteronomy, as you're turning to Deuteronomy, this will also play itself out in secondarily, but also significantly, that we would love our neighbors. Because neighbors have been made in God's image. 
No other created thing, no other creature, no other animal, no other anything has been made in God's image. And so even that's reasonable. You see? So I should love other people because they bear the image of God more than I should love anything else. Living or not living. Shiny or not shiny. It's just reasonable for God to say, love me supremely. Unrivaled. And then love my image bearers sub-supremely. <laughs> right? Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is kind of the, the standard, if you want to know everything about the Old Testament, if you want to summarize the Old Testament, really the takeaway, it would be here. And I'm not just telling you that. That's what believers have been saying since Deuteronomy 6. <laughs> if you're a Jewish child, this is what you learn before you learn anything else because it's the most important thing. And it's what we're talking about. Hear, O Israel, 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So if you get online and look for a Hebrew ring, it's either going to be a Song of Solomon text, okay, my beloved, or it's going to be this, the Shema. You're going to go, it's cool, Hebrew, I don't know what it says, but it's cool. I'm spiritual. I'm like Madonna. Uh, (laughs) In all sincerity, There's a reason why if you get online and look for a Hebrew engraved ring, it's either going to say the one about marriage because it's a wedding ring, or it's going to be about this because the most important Hebrew saying that's ever been said, you might argue, because it's the most important thing is this, the Shema, the listen, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, there's only one God, they're all of the gods. But there's only one true living God, genuine God in all that is. Therefore, here's the logic. Here's the rationale. I've said this is reasonable. Here is the reasonableness of monotheism. One God, verse 5. You shall, the idea is, therefore you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Everything supremely should be for him. And notice, it's so logical. If there's only one God, you don't split your devotion three ways, four ways, eight ways, a hundred million ways. If there's only one, you give your supreme devotion to him. And he goes on to talk about how this should be the priority. This is what you teach your kids. This is what you teach other people. This is what you teach yourself. This is utterly, completely reasonable. See, theology matters, right? There's only one God. My heart, first and foremost, supremely should be given to Him, to His ways, to following Him, to showing gratitude to Him, to worshiping Him as He's revealed Himself. It's reasonable. First John doesn't talk a lot about this. It's making the assumption because the greater emphasis in First John, the assumption is everybody's saying they know this because they're all saying they love God. They get the Shema, at least in theory. First John is putting the emphasis on if you really get that, then you need to make sure you get this other part and that is you should love image bearers. And that's what these believers are struggling with. It's, it's giving, love is giving appropriate Devotion, dedication, priority. See, we don't love each other the same way we love God. 
because we're not the ultimates. Same word can be used, but we give God supreme devotion and he calls us then to, to love each other because we and we only as human beings have been made in his image. So even there, if we love each other, one another uniquely, like we don't love what's in our garage or what's on our screens, if we're loving one another, which is a big challenge, we actually are showing love for God because that's what he's told us to do. It's it's absolutely reasonable. Appropriate devotion. I don't know about you, but I'm already feeling convicted, so I want to move on. It's got to make sense first, right? Let's go to number three, a third truth about love. And that is love is a problem for sinners. Love is a problem for sinners, at least the appropriate kind of love. How about 1 John chapter 4, verse 10? So, so we love, we just don't love the right way. We don't love the right things. Even the fact that we love the wrong stuff in the wrong ways gives evidence that we're, we're made to love. I mean, even, even a rank unbeliever who's so passionate and supremely devoted to the wrong thing give it, gives evidence that they're made in God's image and that they're unique. It's just their love is twisted, perverted, and broken. But that passion is there, and it's supposed to be there for God. Naturally, sinners have a problem loving. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 is, is an amazing and important text for us. Verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God. I just want to stop there and just let it have a big thud. Not that we love God. So if we say, everyone who's really good naturally at loving God, please stand up. And we're so foolish, we probably would stand up. Please don't. Because since we've been united to Adam, we're sinners, we're not good at loving God. Not that we love God. How many even people do you know who are even professing Christians that think that Jesus came for us because we love God? No, not, not, not that we love God. We're not good at this. Let's keep reading. But that He loved us. He showed appropriate dedication to us, if you will. That He loved us and, and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the atonement, the, the wrath judgment satisfier is the idea. The propitiation for our sins. And in that context, our sins, you could say, well, our sins specifically of not loving God and not loving neighbor and all that that might entail. We're so bad at it. We don't do it. What's amazing and extraordinary, if you want to understand how great God's love is, He loved us when we were busy doing that. You go, all right. That's why I came today, to be reminded of that. We've been singing about it all morning. But we're not good at this. We don't do this. He initiates. He does. And in 1 John, we're hearing at times we're then given the Spirit. 
because of the gospel. And now we do respond. New life. And new life then brings love in response. How about 1 John? Well, if we keep 4.10 in context, you know, even, even 1 John 1.8, which is very, very familiar to us, we know it well. The Bible I was reading this past week is a mess in 1 John. You know, because you start circling things and making connections and you see things repeated. And before you know it, it's bleeding through the page and you can't see on the other side. But there's just so much overlap and everything fits together. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, that's good generically and good, it's true generically. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, if first and foremost it's love God and keep His commandments, if First John 3, 4 says sin is lawlessness, huh, we deceive ourselves thinking that we're not sinners. We think we do love God. We think we're good at it. And we're foolish. Apart from Christ, we love the wrong things. We love, but we love the, the, the wrong things in the wrong ways. 2.15, for example, 2.15, 16, and 17. Apart from Christ, apart from the gospel, when our love aims are wrong, Here's what happens. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... Here we go. Here's, here's, here's the natural sinful way to love. The desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes and the pride of life. That's just what I want. What I can do to, do, to, to have the whole world center around me. Self-love, self-exaltation, self-idolatry. That's just what's normal. But we're not good at loving God. We love all the stuff that God gives us. And the world is passing away. See, it's not even, it's dumb to be doing this, but it's what we do. It's passing away. It's not eternal like God is. It's not uh, like human beings who have eternal souls along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And the will of God would be loving God and loving neighbor. At the very end of 1 John, and I would encourage you to read 1 John altogether and not just for taking verses here and there, it, it warns at the very, very end about idolatry. That makes sense. Not supremely devoting ourselves to God, the one true God, and secondarily, sub-supremely, human beings loving them. We just love the stuff that reflects a love for self in a perverted way, and that's called idolatry. And it's really stupid because that stuff doesn't last. But naturally, that's how, that's how we are. That's who we are. Romans 1 says we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Okay, enough bad news. We're not naturally good at loving. We need someone to step in and say, Hey, Pat, you're not good at loving. Oh, but I am. I'm so passionate about so many things. That's right. Wrong aims. We're not naturally good at it. We need God to love us first and to see God's love for us when we're not lovely so we can see the gospel, the good news about Christ. God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our bad loving, for our sins, for our lawlessness. And you say, I I've been wrong all along? 
I'm on the wrong track. I even use God talk. I'm terrible at love. I'm the worst at love. Yeah, that's right. And then you're ready to see Jesus and God's love for you. And now in Christ, you've been given the Spirit and now it's time to start loving the right way. And now the old commandment is a new commandment. And how about this? The command to love God and love neighbor and you'll have eternal life, which is bad news. Doesn't have to be bad news anymore. It's actually good news in Christ because he actually did those things for me. And now God accepts me. And now when I hear, love God and love neighbor, it's not, love God and love neighbor and you'll go to heaven. Right? It's love God and love neighbor. Because it's right, because it's the human thing to do, it's the Christian thing to do. Oh, and by the way, you've been given the Spirit to give you new life. Now you can actually do these things. Really? Now I'm free to act like a human? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's amazing. But the same command can be old and can be new depending on which side of Calvary you're on. Does that make sense? Love God, keep His commandments. Love God and love neighbor. Terrible news. Love God, love neighbor. Wonderful news. If you're on this side of Calvary, believing in Jesus' side, now all of a sudden, God's love for me makes me want to love Him. And now we've got things in the right order. How many religions are based upon love God? Oh, and with a little bit of help, and even though you won't be able to do it perfectly, God's going to accept you anyway. And then eventually, if you love Him enough, you get to go to heaven. Christianity doesn't teach that. It teaches love God and love neighbor perfectly, and you go to heaven. And it'll never happen until Jesus comes and does those things and pays for your never doing it, raised from the dead, and you trust in Him, and now those bad words to us are good words. Okay, let's go to number four. A fourth truth about Christian love, about love, would be love is reserved for God and neighbor. We've already covered this basically. It's reserved for God and neighbor. We give the supreme devotion to God, and I like to say today sub-supreme because it's as high as you get, but it's below God. It's reserved for God and neighbor. We've pretty much already covered this. In chapter 4, verse 10, and chapter 4, verse 20, it, it affirms that we're to love God, but he passes over it. He's assuming they're already biblically literate because they're talking about loving God. They're right in talking about loving God, but they're not doing a good job at loving neighbor. And so then he has to talk about that. But First John chapter 4, verse 21, I do want you to see specifically about neighbor, about fellow believer in particular. This unique kind of devotion should be reserved for God, yes, and should be reserved for neighbor. And First John's really emphasizing other believers. First John 4.21, And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God, see that's the assumed that we know that that's first and foremost, must also love His brother. And 
And then in contrast, where we saw you don't love the things of the world, those selfish kinds of desires and all the other stuff. Doesn't mean we can't enjoy them. Doesn't mean we can't say these are good things from God's creation. But supreme and sub-supreme, God and neighbor, in this context, fellow believer. And so when it comes to application, I've got to stop and, and consider this and try to get you to do so also. As you enjoy the stuff... I'm not asking you to not enjoy the stuff, right? God made an amazing world, and he said not just that it's good, he then goes on to say it's very good. The Bible tells us we can eat, drink, and whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Enjoy it. I hope whatever you do today when it comes to your recreation or your family time or whatever it is you might be doing, gathering here, you can do so and you can enjoy it. Say, God is good. I love this. But supreme and sub-supreme devotion, you guys know what I mean, sub, right? Greater than those kinds of, that, the, the, great, a greater place, unique place, yes, for God, and under that would be for the people of God. And that is convicting. It's convicting for me as a Christian. I'm not terrified by that, thinking, oh no, because I'm not perfect at it, I'm going to hell. No, it's a, it's a, it's a new commandment, because I'm on the other side of Calvary. But it is a commandment. And so I've got to be thinking, do I love other b- believers like I don't love other things? There's a place for good Christian conviction there. Out of gratitude for what God has done for me in Christ uh, and His love, His church, His bride, do, do, do I have a similar kind of love? And the commandment to you and to me as Christians, empowered by the Spirit, is we should uniquely, sub-supremely be loving one another, showing affection, prioritizing, imitating. First John talks about imitating Jesus' love for us. Yeah, but if you knew those Christians like I know those Christians. Yeah, knowing those Christians like you know those Christians. We're called to have a special kind of devotion. And that's a struggle for us in a fallen world. The great thing in First John is we have the Spirit. It can happen. It's supposed to happen. Let's move to number five. A fifth truth about love would be that love is first shown by God to sinners in Christ. We've already covered this. Love is first shown by God to sinners in Christ. I just couldn't help myself but cover it. But we would have a whole lot of issues solved if we just remembered that. In our state of unloveliness, in our state of rebellion, God loves us first and that solves the problems. 
That will cause us to worship. That will cause us to show gratitude. That will then cause us to see other people who aren't lovely, lovable, because we're imitating God's love for us. So it really is crucial. A couple of texts, you can just jot them down if you'd like. 1 John 3.16 is easy to remember because of John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. How do we know love? What's our, what's our touchstone that we always come back to for, for grounding? That we always come back to to make sure we have the right direction so that we can see up and down and what's east, west, north, south? What do we always come back to? In this is love that he gave his son for us. Okay, for us sinners. So now if I'm supposed to love you or you're supposed to love me, regardless of how we're doing in our spiritual growth, we have to remember we're benefiting if we do remember in this is love that he loved us by sending his son while we're sinners. Oh, okay. You can love Pat. Because you're a Christian and I'm a Christian. Yeah, but they're not very worthy. None of us are very worthy. None of us are worthy at all. But in Christ, I'm a brother and I'm a brother. We've already looked at 1 John 4, 9, and 10 in this is love in verse 10. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. It's amazing. This is also helpful when it comes to the confusing messages we hear about what love is. Well, this is what love is, and that's what love is, and we hear all of these different messages about what love is. Well, you know what? In this is love. The God of the universe. Uh, the God who was raised from the dead. Uh, he, I think he might have a little bit more authority than the latest commentator on the news. The latest activist? If I'm going to listen to anybody, it's the guy that was raised from the dead and he makes it clear this is what love is. Giving to people who don't deserve it. Esteeming people who are made in God's image above yourself. Esteeming God first and foremost. That's super, super helpful. Sometimes we say, why do we always talk about the gospel? This would be one reason. First John is not a gospel-focused book in one sense. It's a book focused on giving people assurance, and a big part of it is if they act the right way. But it's gospel all over the place because the way to get people to act the right way is to get them to understand God's love in Christ through the gospel. And then you get them to act the right way. Let's do six and seven. Number six. Love by Christians is both possible and expected. Love by Christians is both possible and expected. How about the latter part of 316? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Well, he laid his life down for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Hmm, that's expected. Apparently it's possible. 
please get this on the right side of Calvary, right? You can hear these commands and go, oh man, unless I do this stuff, I'm going to purgatory for a long time. If there's such a thing as purgatory, you're going to go there forever. Is what I want you to know. Because your sins will never be atoned for. Because you've sinned against an eternal God. And until you love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you'll never be led into heaven. Make sure you get this on the right side of Calvary. I've got to lay my life down for others. I'm not getting into heaven. No, 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 no. You, you, you've gotten kind of confused. We have the Spirit. We're on the other side of Calvary. We're believers. We've been made new creatures in Christ. And now we're supposed to live like human beings. And we esteem above all other creatures, other human beings, specifically believers in Christ. I would love them to the point of sacrificing for them. That's supernatural. It's expected. Apparently it's possible. 1 John 4, 19 and following is another amazing one. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him who loves God must also love his brother. It's a must. Not for salvation, but because you have salvation. It's a must. 324 is the reference I've been alluding to, but never citing. 324 is we have the Spirit. And in the context of 324, we have the Spirit so we can fulfill the commandments. First and foremost commandment is love God and love neighbor secondarily. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit is love. This can happen. One more text on this point, and then we'll get to the last one. Still dealing with love by Christians is both possible and expected. How about 1 John 5? 1 John 5 is great because we've been talking not long ago about regeneration and how God makes us alive and how that produces all sorts of rightness. How about 1 John chapter 5, verse 1? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 1 John 5, 1. If you believe in Jesus, it's evidence that you've experienced regeneration, right? If you believe in Jesus the God, in the gospel, it's evidence that you've been born of God. God has given you life to even believe. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So see what He's doing there? If, if you've been born from above and shows itself in love, then, then you love others who've been born from above. Verse 2, by this we know that we... Love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. See, other side of Calvary. And now, new nature, new spirit, regeneration, new life. I want to do this. Setbacks, yes. But I do want to do this. That's because you're a new creature you want to do this. Got a love for other believers. I still think most of them are crazy. I don't like most Christians, but I love them. <laughs> Showing my own sinful flesh. 
There's something to be said about not liking someone, but you can't. Never mind. <laughs> That's pat theology, not biblical theology. But someone may not look very lovable, therefore likable. Called to love that person, to help that person, to do whatever is necessary to help that person because they're not only made in God's image, they're fellow partakers, right? Fellow participants in the new birth. The very thing that gives you this new supernatural ability to show love for them, they've also experienced. Maybe they haven't grown as much, right? Maybe you haven't grown as much. I obviously haven't grown as much because I talk about not liking people but loving people. But think about this, to, to veer a little bit. Everyone in this room who is a Christian, everyone who in this, in this room who is a Christian or who will become a Christian, will get to heaven on the same merits. Equal. Because we'll get to heaven based upon the merits of Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, He gives us His Spirit that is then producing growth. That really does help, by the way, when we're trying to love each other. I so badly want to name some of you who are my friends just to be ornery and talk about how hard it is to love certain people in this room, but that's just what you guys will just think of me. But it really is helpful when you're having that hard time loving someone in all sincerity to think equal in Christ has been born from above. I won't be at the front of the line in heaven and they'll be at the back of the line. Because the only way we're going to get there is because of what Jesus has done. All right, I can love him. All right, you can love me. It's all of what he's done. We can and we should love other Christians. It's possible because of the Spirit and it's expected. And by the way, where it says there in verse 3, His commandments are not burdensome. Just remember, they were. They were so burdensome it was impossible. I like to tell people it's really hard to live the Christian life if you're not a Christian. It is. Okay, we better do number seven. Love is more than a thought or a word. Love is more than a thought or a word. Sometimes we say things like, oh, it's the thought that counts. Can you imagine what it would be like for God if that's what we said God's love is like? He's the one we're supposed to be imitating. He didn't do anything. He was kind of busy. But it's the thought that counts. He sent us love thoughts. All right? That's what unbelievers say when they can't say, I'm praying for you. I'll be thinking of you. I'll be thinking positive thoughts. I'll send positive thoughts your way. Yeah, God sent us positive thoughts while we were his enemies. It's not the thought that counts. I'm not saying there isn't a thought. But then there's action. And he does something. He sends his son at great cost to him. So for us as Christians, yes, let's think happy thoughts and let's send positive thoughts to one another. Let's do more than that though. If we're going to love each other, it's more than just saying it, it's more than just thinking it. 
in 1 John chapter 3. We'll end here, I promise. 1 John 3.16 again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. See, he did something. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Action, imitate action. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The implied answer is it doesn't. It's just empty talk or empty thought. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. makes me feel guilty. Probably makes you feel guilty. But let's just have it be gospel guilt, which some of you might not like it that I just said that. And maybe I shouldn't say it. But here's what I mean. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Love me. (laughs) Don't feel guilty because now you think, oh, God's not going to accept me. No, you've been accepted in Christ. So now out of gratitude, new nature, imitation, worship, that guilt can actually be translated into action, knowing full well that that commandment is not burdensome. It's not going to send you to hell. But because you're going to heaven with other brothers and sisters, the new, the new natural, okay, the supernatural, new creation, is to actually show love if people need help, Okay? Because of Christ. We didn't talk about assurance. So let's end on that. The letter was written so that people who profess to have faith in Jesus can be sure that they're Christians. Got the Spirit. Spirit produces fruit. You look at the fruit and you might say, I'm not the person I want to be. But I'm not the person I used to be. Praise God in Christ that I can have assurance of salvation because of what Jesus has done and the fruit that he is producing. I've already been accepted and now I'm living like an accepted person. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the risen Christ. Thank you that he gave gifts to us as he ascended. Thank you that he gave us his spirit, the greatest gift, so that we can live like real human beings we're supposed to live. And as we have opportunities, even today and this week, Even if it be infrequent, God, as we have opportunities to to love other people, to love other believers, to love other neighbors who aren't believers, those around us, may may we see it. May we see the Holy Spirit's work in us, not so that we can be prideful and self-righteous, but so that we can say, praise God, I'm alive in Christ and I don't do the very things I used to do and I now am free to do what humans are supposed to do. May it be worshipful, encouraging, sustaining. And may we see it at Omaha Bible Church as well as in our community here in Omaha. In Jesus' name, amen.